DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is the author of Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a Theological Contemplation of Prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of Conversations with Dr. Lillis, we focus on Doctor of the Church, St. Teresa of Avila, and her great spiritual masterwork, The Interior Castle. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. An excerpt from The Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila. Mansion 6, Book 5. This vision is not intellectual, but imaginary, and is seen by the eyes of the soul more clearly than earthly things are seen by our bodily eyes. Although no words are pronounced, the spirit is taught many truths. For instance, if it beholds any of the saints, it knows them at once, as well as if intimately acquainted with them for years. Occasionally, Besides what the eyes of the soul perceive in intellectual vision, other things are shown it. In an imaginary vision, it usually sees our Lord accompanied by a host of angels. Yet neither the bodily eyes nor the eyes of the soul see anything. For these visions, and many other things impossible to describe, are revealed by some wonderful intuition that I cannot explain. Perhaps those who have experienced this favor and possess more ability than myself may be able to describe it, although it seems to me a most difficult task. I cannot tell whether the soul dwells in the body meanwhile or not. I would neither affirm that it does, nor that the body is deprived of it. I have often thought that as, though the sun does not leave his place in the heavens, yet his rays have power to reach the earth instantaneously. So the soul and the spirit, which make one and the same thing, like the sun and its rays, may, while remaining in its own place, through the strength of the ador coming to it from the true sun of justice, send up some higher part of it above itself. In fact, I do not understand what I'm talking about. But the truth is that with the swiftness of a bullet fired from a gun, an upward flight takes place in the interior of the soul. I know no other name for it but flight. Although noiseless, it is too manifest a movement to be an illusion, and the soul is quite possible outside itself. At least that is the impression made upon it. Great mysteries are revealed to it, meanwhile. When the person returns to consciousness, she is so greatly benefited that she holds all this world's goods as filth compared to what she has seen. Henceforth, earthly life is grievous to her, 
and what used to please her now remains uncared for and unnoticed. It touches of transcendence, doesn't it? She describes it in mm. a very practical way. It's not necessarily something you see with your physical eyes. There's a, a, a deeper thing that the soul is experiencing. And that's difficult to describe to someone, isn't it? It is. Perhaps if instead of trying to describe some of these things, we could look at what Teresa of Avila herself does. She invites us to ponder Christ crucified. This pondering, what does Jesus want to give us? Jesus wants us to be completely like him. And in order to make us completely like him, it's really important that he be able to share with us the pains and trials that he suffered. Just like one friend shares the struggles they have with another. He wants his pains and trials to be completely possessed by a soul whom he loves so that together uh, they can approach the throne of the Father in a union of love. Uh, the more a, friends are like each other, the greater their love for one another. Jesus makes us like him by allowing us to share his trials with him. Some of the trials that we experience are the result of our own sin, that's true. Some of it is the result of our own brokenness, that's also true. Some of it is for the salvation of the world. And Jesus loves us so much that if we ask him, he'll communicate those things to us. This prayer of flight, um, this rapturous flight, as we've described, is um, really nothing more than a reception of um, his movements of heart as he suffered on the cross. And he loves the soul so much, he wants the soul to know those riches with him so that together they might glorify the Father. You turn it like this, all of a sudden, these kind of trials, these kind of difficulties that seem so remote, well, we all have access to Christ crucified by our faith. And this isn't a super-duper achievement for few. This is something that all of us are called to. You can dispose yourself to this. You can't force the experience, but you can dispose yourself to this kind of flight by doing what St. John of the Cross counsels in Ascent to Mount Carmel, Book 2. What he talks about is um, how Jesus, when he was crucified, was at his most powerless moment. He was powerless in his body, but he was also powerless in his spirit. And so he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? St. John of the Cross even uses the word, he was annihilated in his spirit. And it is precisely at this weakest point that St. John of the Cross says, Jesus accomplished his greatest work. He achieved the glory of the Father and our salvation. 
And so too, every friend of Jesus who says yes to this mystery. John on the cross bemoans those friends of Jesus who do not want the cross, those friends of Jesus who only want consolation after consolation, but don't want to share with him the fruitfulness of his mystery. This kind of prayer, the reason to seek it, the reason to desire it, is because it's the kind of prayer that makes us fruitful in the mystery of Christ Jesus. It allows his sufferings to bear fruit in our humanity anew. As she describes it here, this experience in prayer is not something that necessarily is of a long nature. It comes swiftly, if if I'm reading that right, like a bullet out of a gun. Yeah, she uses that image, that's right. Which is, given her time period, it's such an interesting one. And, And it may only be brief. Yeah. But it's that penetrating. Am I am I reading that right? Yeah, I think I think your interpretation's entirely right. He, she actually, yeah, she says uh, it is in fact that as quickly as a bullet leaves a gun, when the trigger is pulled, there begins within the soul a fly. I know other no other name to give it, which though no sound is made, is so clear a movement that it cannot possibly be due to fancy. When the soul, as far as it can understand, is right outside itself, great things are revealed to it. And when it returns to itself, it finds that it has reaped every very great advantages. And it has such contempt for earthly things that in comparison with those it has seen, they seem like dirt to it. Thenceforth, to live on earth is a great affliction to it. It sees any of the things which it used to give it pleasure. It no longer cares for them. And that's what happens. Isn't that what happens to every soul that falls in love? Once you've seen your beloved, life is never the same. You can never imagine being uh, continuing in life uh, without your beloved again. Uh, Everything that you thought was important before you met your beloved is no longer important. Everything um, only has importance insofar as its relation to the beloved. Well, just like that's true in earthly love, so it isn't true with what Jesus shows us. His beauty is so radiant, so powerful. It evokes such a response from the heart that, that you can't live the same way ever again. It takes courage to receive this because it's not this kind of beauty isn't for wimps. This kind of beauty is for a soul of courage, a soul that wants to love with courage. Uh, what he reveals, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, goof around. It's, it is like a shotgun blast or a sudden wave that overwhelms you, a current that all of a sudden pulls you down. Then, though, what is communicated in that moment though it doesn't last very long stays with you, it lingers with you. It changes the way you relate to the world. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? 
Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Litany of Humility O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected. Deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I. That others may be esteemed more than I. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me in everything that others may become holier than I provided that I become as holy as I should Jesus grant me the grace to desire it Amen we now return to beginning to pray with dr. Anthony Lewis you know it's funny all I could think of is it was the birthing of humility. And when I say the birthing of humility, I speak of one who has given birth to children. The anticipation, but there's also the terror of knowing you're having to go through the pain of it. And then as you're undergoing it and then receiving it at the end, I mean, there's nothing. And I only use it because that speaks from a, an experience that I've had. But in humility, it's almost the same thing. You ask God for the gift of humility, and and you can see it in others and hope for it, but you have to be willing to suffer it to be able to get there. And Our Lady, she's the queen of humility. And Teresa, she talks about it so often, humility, humility, humility. It almost has to be birthed from you. You can't just want it or claim it. It has to be something that is life-giving and flows from you. I don't know. Maybe now I'm 
going off on a on a weird tangent, but that's it's the suffering of it. You just oh, I got the grace and now I'm humble, or something like that. It almost you almost have to go through that, and you have to have courage to say yes to it. Does that make sense? No, it does. In fact, she actually observes there are three effects of this prayer, and so she. The first is knowledge of the greatness of God. Elizabeth of the Trinity will speak of the immensity of his love. The more deeply we are conscious of it, the more we see it. The second is self-knowledge and humility. When you see God's greatness, it's like I said before Niagara Falls or the Grand Canyon. All of a sudden you realize how little you are, you know, uh, when you see the greatness of God's love, you realize how little your love is. Um, a certain truth kind of shocks you about where you actually stand in the world. And, um, uh, you know, uh, oh, and then finally, there's a, a contempt for earthly things. And she's not talking about uh, responsibilities we have to love each other that we have all of a sudden we don't you know, uh, care for our family in the same way we did before. But um, she is talking about a certain freedom uh, from bad attachments that we have to things, even things in our family. There are ways that we draw our identity from our relationships and our family that Jesus wants to heal. Uh, We see ourselves as having a certain role in people's lives that um, isn't completely pleasing to Jesus. He wants to free us of that. And he frees us of that by showing us the greatness of his power. It's sheer beauty. Again, this joy and this sorrow, this terror, it takes hold because you see something so beautiful and your life can never be the same again. All of a sudden, you're free to love people in a way that you've never been able to love them before because you're not seeking from them that which only Christ can give you. What else can we take from this particular section, uh, Anthony? On It seems like one of the smallest chapters in the Sixth Mansion, but yet it seems to be one of the richest. Well, there's a couple things that in the last two paragraphs, and I'll just mention them because one of them comes into the writings of St. John of the Cross and the spiritual canticle, which I've already read. As you go forward, you'll, you'll see uh, the bride be decked by the bridegroom, you know, um, in, in the spiritual canticle. She, that image, Teresa, and I can't remember if he's written his poem yet or not, uh, which who's influenced who at this stage of the game, but it's a shared, let's put it this way. It's a shared image from the canticle of canticles that both Teresa and John. So these jewels of, of knowledge of the God's greatness, of self-knowledge, kind of a detachment from earthly things, even a contempt for them. These are jewels, which the spouse is beginning. The bridegroom is beginning to give his bride. And so precious are they that she will not fail to keep them with the greatest care. These meetings, this flight of spirit is a meeting, a rendezvous. Uh, Alison Pierre used meetings, but 
It's like a date. It's a rendezvous with the spouse remains so deeply engraven in the memory that I think it is impossible for the soul to forget them until it is enjoying them forever. So in other words, something about this experience anticipates what the beatific vision is. In other words, as great as the experience is that we've just shared, the beatific vision is even more and never comes to an end. Uh, this jewel that this bridegroom gives us now is simply a foretaste of what is to come. Then finally, she says, returning now to the soul's need of courage, I ask you, does it seem to you such a trifling thing after all? For the soul really feels that it is leaving the body when it sees the senses leaving it and has no idea why, why, why they are going. So he who gives everything else must needs give courage too. You will say that this fear of the souls is well rewarded. So do I. May he who gave, can give so much be forever praised and may it please his majesty to grant us to be worthy to serve him. Amen. In other words, um, we spoke a lot about terror before the truly beautiful. How can we stand before the greatness of God, his sheer immensity? God gives us the courage. With the grace of prayer, the courage is there. How do you access that courage? How do you find that courage? You ask for it. You receive it. You believe in it. You cling to it. But his courage is your courage. So behind the awareness of God's immensity, and awareness of your humility, awareness of how all things are not God and can't satisfy the soul anymore, and so you're free from them. Behind all of this is a gift of courage that will allow you to see how he who is mighty has done great things. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Have a great day. Thank you, Anthony. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. There, too, you'll find an audio version of The Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila, the masterwork in which this series has been based. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.